As you've heard um, twice now already this morning, um, the people of the Hebrew faith pass down a story. They continue to pass down a story, a story that told them something about who their God was. Their God was a God of liberation, a God who provided. We find this story in the second book of the Bible with the Exodus event. God's people were stuck, enslaved in Egypt, destined to serve Pharaoh from generation to generation. So they cried out to God. God hears their cries. God sends Moses. A long back and forth occurs with Moses demanding that Pharaoh let the Hebrew people go. Pharaoh says no. To quickly and probably poorly sum up this great liberation story, the people finally go free. They leave. They experience freedom. But the celebration songs don't last as long as you would think. You probably heard, caught on to that as we read the scripture. They've been enslaved for generations. And while they had been liberated off to create a new home, a new life, they had nothing. They were in the wilderness with nothing. And it was hard. The fear, the hunger, the lack, the long days, the long road ahead finally got to them. And they looked at Moses and said, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least there we had homes. We had food. Instead, you brought us here. You rescued us just so that we may come here to die. Moses reminds them that they serve a God of liberation, a God who hears their cries, a God who provides. God provides food, manna from heaven. It appears on the ground each morning, and the people of God ate and were able to continue on the journey. The Hebrew people passed down this great story of faith about their God, a God who provided miracle food to feed hungry bellies. And then one day, here comes Jesus. He also produces miracle food. He feel, fills hungry bellies. Jesus reminds them of this great story of faith that has been handed down. And Jesus challenges them by adding to the story, offering a different manna from heaven. This account with Jesus we find in John chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read in a second from the end of the chapter. But just to set it up, as chapter 6 in John begins, you've got a large crowd that has begun to follow Jesus because they've seen and they've heard the things that Jesus has done. Dinner time comes around. People begin to get hungry. You, you couldn't just order a pizza. How were they to be fed? Somehow this crowd of 5,000 was fed using five loaves and two fish. They had as much as they wanted, they were satisfied, and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. 5,000 hungry bellies were fed with five loaves and two fish. 
So now this crowd that has heard about Jesus, they've seen him healing the sick, and then they all get miraculously fed. People living in an insecure world, hungry people get fed in the midst of scarcity, so they continue to follow. And this is where we pick up. And as you prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. I'm going to be jumping around toward the end of John 6. Um, it is pretty lengthy, um, but it's a, it's a whole story that I couldn't find a way to like parse up. Um, so hang in there with me. John chapter 6, beginning at 25 and just kind of jumping around. When the crowd found Jesus, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I think that's a perfectly reasonable question. So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will, will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. 
but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You can almost hear the people saying, well, yeah, of course. I was hungry. You gave me food kind of miraculously. Why would I not follow you? But then Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Okay, tell me more about this food then. What must I do to perform these works of God, to get this food that endures for eternal life? This is the work of God, Jesus says, that you believe in him whom he has sent. All right, if God has sent you and I'm supposed to believe this, what sign are you going to give so that we may see it and believe? What work are you performing? You know the stories of our ancestors, the stories that we have passed down. God provided manna from heaven and they ate. And then I'm sure you notice, as I said, they asked a perfectly reasonable question. The conversation gets a little strange right? Let's be honest. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That one verse is hard enough for us to hold. We see the hungry and the thirsty still among us, but it goes on. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and that bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I love that next line. It says the Jews began to complain, and then they disputed among themselves. Because first they're thinking, this is Jesus. We know his mama and his daddy, and he's trying to one-up our manna story, a deep-rooted story of our faith that tells us about our God. Not to mention, did you just hear what he said? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I think we forget, because we read it so often, how strange this is. And I'm not going to lie, I feel like I would have been been there with them. But Jesus doesn't back down. Very truly, I tell you, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So whoever eats me will live because of me. In the early days of uh, Christianity in the Roman Empire, the authorities in Rome, well, they would send out people, spies kind of, to check up on this early 
group of followers, this growing group of believers, just to make sure they were staying in check. And the practice of communion was, shall we say, um, intriguing. I wish I could have found in my notes, I went back to look for it from um, seminary, but I couldn't find it. We've got some actual um, passages from people who would write to the Roman Empire about what they saw, and they would, they would say, these Christians, they share in a meal where they eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Again, we're so far removed from this because our practice of communion is such a deep part of our communal worship experience. We forget or we miss um, how strange or even how wrong this can sound. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. I've tried to hold those words this past week, um, thinking a lot about them, how easy it is to take that passage and just connect it to Jesus giving his life for us, to the sacrifice, to communion and the grace we know what we receive, the actual presence of Christ that we are promised in that act. But I've mainly tried to hold this image of consuming Jesus. Not in a eat my flesh, drink my blood kind of way, but a life lived taking Jesus in, consuming Jesus. You know, the manna from heaven, it wasn't just about food. It wasn't just about feeding hungry bellies. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, wasn't just about bread. Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And that word abide, it's this close, intimate, personal connection. It tells us that our God remains, sustains provides. Our God gave us Jesus, and in Jesus we meet God. In Jesus, God abides. In us, with us, all around us, in you, in me, in the next person we meet, and in the next person we meet, and in the next person we meet. And our task, our call, once we have awakened to this presence of the divine in and among us, once we have experienced it through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, our task and our call is to work, uh, to work to experience it more and more, to awaken to it more and more, to see Jesus in and among us, to learn more about Jesus, to strive to be more like Jesus, to consume Jesus, to take Jesus in, and to invite others to do the same. If you had a chance to read through the opening article of our news, newsletter Wednesday, I shared a little bit about discipleship. I talked about how I grew up in the United Methodist Church. I do not remember not going to church. I do not remember not knowing God. I do not remember not having the story of Jesus to shape my life. And yet, I still at times find it hard to think of myself as a disciple. 
I know I still have much to learn about what it means to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to be a disciple. And if you're like me, um, you know, maybe you see something in the life and teachings of Jesus. In Jesus, you have experienced God, and you want to grow and learn as a follower of Christ, as a disciple. You want to consume Jesus. Over the next few months, we're going to kind of spend time in worship thinking about this. What does it mean to be a disciple, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to consume Jesus? When someone joins the church, we ask them, do you wish to be a disciple and follower of Jesus? Yet so many of us struggle to see ourselves as a disciple, to claim it, to believe we are worthy of such a calling or that we're up to such a task. We see this in John chapter 6. The people were fed by Jesus. They were standing with Jesus. They were listening to Jesus talk. They could literally follow in his footsteps. And yet we have this verse. This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. As Eugene Peterson says in the message, this call for complete, life-changing dedication was simply too tough to swallow. And I kind of get it, right? I think I get it now more than ever. I hear many of you say that we are still just tired, that the world is weary, and we're tired. We're worn down from two years of COVID and all the things that we could name that have been a part of that reality. And so today, as we begin this reflection on discipleship, I just wanted to start with this image from John 6. Not a long to-do list of tasks that we have to do to be disciples, but this image of discipleship as a life consuming Jesus. Bit by bit, story by story, conversation by conversation, step by step, prayer by prayer, Sunday by Sunday, moment by moment. And one last thing, the whole you will never go hungry or thirsty thing, we already named how this is hard, right? We still see those who hunger and thirst among us. Maybe Jesus is speaking spiritually. Maybe it's meant to point to the life that is to come when Jesus comes back and all that has, is broken has been mended. Or maybe Jesus is simply saying, yes, we believe in a God who provides. Now go and do likewise. A life spent consuming Jesus tells us that there are enough loaves. There is enough fish. There's enough manna for all. No one need go hungry or be thirsty again. We can step out 
As disciples of Jesus Christ, following in the footsteps of Christ, we need not fear, we need not worry. Miraculous things do you happen among us? We consume Jesus. Jesus consumes us. And our world, in turn, is consumed by a people shaped by a God of liberation, of provision, of sacrificial servanthood. So as we begin this reflection on discipleship, may we be a people who live a life consuming Jesus, bit by bit, story by story, conversation by conversation, step by step, prayer by prayer, Sunday by Sunday, moment by moment. Amen.